Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I have always told myself a story that I love getting older. I'm like, I keep being more secure in myself and financially, and in my relationships, and that's so nice. And that is 98% true. But I did feel weird about turning 41. I was surprised. 40, I was like, this is amazing. I am 40. And 41, I was like, holy shoot balls. I am in my 40s. I am a grown-up. I am supposed to have figured things out. I am going to die one day. And time just keeps going by faster and faster, and it is terrifying. And I think that we all have these different relationships with growing older and that sometimes certain birthdays sneak up on us emotionally and other ones we have no big feelings about. But Kathy, who we're talking to today, is preempting a lot of this. Kathy is about to turn 49. So she is not yet 49, and she is already thinking about how she wants to spend her 50s. And so that is what we are going to be talking to Kathy about today. How should she think about quitting her 40s? I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Should I Quit? Hi, Kathy. Hi, Vanessa. Okay, so you are a medievalist. Yes. When when is the medieval period? Like, what are the years? Well, that's always up for argument. (laughs) But basically, 500 to 1500. It's a really long time. It's a really long time. Really long time. And so I really get upset when people make generalizations. My period 
is, and in England it's easy because it basically splits at 1066. William the Conqueror. Yes. Yes. (laughs) My period is basically the later Middle Ages. So I look at works from about 1300 to 1500. Tell me like one thing that characterizes the part of the medieval age that you study. Um, Knights in shining armor. Really? Literally? Yes. So I get to read all the fun stuff. Is King Arthur of your period? Yes. I actually just have a book coming out on King Arthur. Okay. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay. So you're a professor. You are like establishing your career. You are someone who seems very passionate about your career. And so you're bringing a question sort of around that, but I just want to warn our listeners, we are going back to an old format today. You are such a literature professor that you were like, I have a question, but also I have my texts. And then you pushed up your glasses. And so we are going to do the original form of the real question where you have a question about quitting, but you also have your texts. So can you please first tell everyone what your question about quitting is? Yeah, so I am nearing the end of my 40s. I'm turning 49 this summer. And I pretty much hit, I know this is going to sound bragging, but I pretty much hit all the career goals I set out. I won the teaching award, which was the height of my ambition. And I got a book published and so on. And so I am looking at, I think, a long way to retirement And so I'm looking at the next decade of my career and I have been listening to your podcast and thinking, okay, I want to do this consciously and deliberately rather than just coasting through the next 10 years. So my question is, how should I quit my 40s? Okay. Okay. Is this a should I quit question? Is it what about my 40s do I want to leave behind? Or is it about like, what do I want to add in my 50s? I think it's both. Okay. So I've put in a lot of work into my career that, you know, some of it I'm done, right? Yeah. But then I also, I want to know what to fill up that space with. Okay. So just tell me a little bit, like, what are some of the things from your 40s that you're like, I'm definitely quitting these things. (laughs) Bye. Well, I definitely don't want to quit teaching. I don't want to quit my job. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy the students and so on. The committee work, I'm not as sure that I enjoy, but some of that I have to do. But some things that I've tried, they just aren't for me. And I also, you tend to say yes to a lot of things. And so there are some things that I want to start saying no to and mm-hmm. um, that I find energy draining rather than energy giving. Yeah. Can you tell me what one of those is? Well, I was the graduate coordinator for our department mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did that. And I think I did an okay job, but that was exhausting. And yeah. I discovered that I don't like arguing with the administration about money and all mm. of that. I don't necessarily want to quit it because I think it's necessary work, but I didn't find that fun. And so I need help in figuring out whether to quit things like that. Oh my God, quit things like that. Why wouldn't you quit something like that? (laughs) Well, because the world needs it and the graduate students need it. And I think it's 
important. I mean, when you get to this point in your career, right, they expect you to go into administration or that's one path. And I think that I could do a good job. And we need people who have been in the classroom and who know what teachers are dealing with. So that is one option for where I go in my 50s. And that's, there's a lot of good to be said for that option. So I need help deciding. Okay. So potentially one of the core questions that we are considering is, I'm looking at my 50s. There are things in my career, a river that is flowing of my career. And I respect the river. I actually think it's a pretty good river. Should I just let myself be in the river or should I be like trying whenever I can to sort of ford off into this other stream where I'm like, no, but I love teaching. I love research. I'm not going to let that current bring me. Is that right? Yeah. So I think, I mean, the river is splitting into three at this point. One is going, leaning into administration and really fixing, or <laughs> trying to fix. Single-handedly um, fixing. Got single-handedly it. Single-handedly reshape all universities or at least mine. Oh my God. Well, then you should do it. So that is one option. So go into administration. The other is what you just mentioned, lean into research. Okay. So I, I enjoy research. I don't love it the way that I love teaching. Don't mm-hmm. tell my chair that. The third is something else. And so doing something either outside of academia or uh, you and Casper used to talk about ghost ships mm-hmm. and see if I can maybe jump on one of those ghost ships before it passes. Or if I need to say, nope, I'm never going to do this. I am, I don't know. I messed up my knee. I'm never going to play soccer again. And so there are basically three options that I want to talk through. I'm sorry. I just have to understand. There isn't the fourth of like staying a professor and focusing on teaching the thing that brings you joy? No, that that is that is the option I am going to take. So I do want to stay in teaching, but teaching is only supposed to be, and it never is, but is only supposed to be 40% of your time. 20% service, 40% research is the kind of breakdown. And so I definitely want to spend the 40% sometimes up to 80%, depending on the time of year of my job teaching. That's not on the table. It's the question about how to spend the other 60% of the time. Got it. So Kathy, you were like, there's a ghost ship. It's going by. It's actually circling. Or I'm in a place on the island where it turns out that I can maybe jump onto this ghost ship. And it's my last chance. What is this ghost ship? Well, when I was in my teens, I was considering equally teaching and writing. And I did do a lot of writing, but it was newspaper writing and articles and personal essays and so on. And I still do that as part of my career. So that kind of nonfiction. But I got about six or seven or eight novels of which I have the first chapter or the first two chapters. And I think the problem with that, that nobody ever told me, and I was a stupid teenager and couldn't figure it out myself, but nobody ever told me that you could plan a novel the way you plan an essay. So I was Mm. really good at writing essays and articles, and I would plan them out and crack them off and get them done. But I would start these novels and feel like it should all be spontaneous. You know the quotation about the spontaneous overflow of powerful emotion 
I think it's a word worth quotation. It's it's like Ugh. how you write poetry and, and you're supposed to just overflow onto the page and that's your authentic self. And, and so on. Well, and then I got to, I think it was in my master's and I, I looked at the charts that James Joyce did and he would chart not just the plot and so on, but what metaphor was running through each chapter and what color was running through each chapter. And, and I thought I could do that. I could write a novel if I charted it all out and so that's the ghost ship I want to and by then I, I was into teaching and I and I didn't take that but I'd like to see if I could try my hand at writing fiction now that I know that you can't you don't just overflow onto the page just before we move on do you want money to be something that we discuss on the show or are you like no I understand the financial risks yeah and and I don't want to quit my job as a literature prof, I think I even could say that the 40% for my research is going to writing. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And so I have colleagues who write fiction, even if they're not creative writing profs. So what I'm worrying or what I'm struggling with, first of all, I might fail, but sure. you know that's always the case. But second of all, if you wanted to go to my quotation, will this be a selfish thing for me to do? Or... I am so privileged and I've been given so much by the world. I'd like to give something back. And I think I do that a little bit to my students, but I'm wondering if and how I should give something more back to the world. Okay. So let's turn to your first text then. Can you please tell us about it? Well, this is a text that I haven't read the whole thing, but a wise friend gave me. And it's by Frederick Buchner. And he was a theologian. And he wrote, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And so I take that to, you know, I might get great joy from reading fantasy novels 24-7, but that's not what the world needs. Okay. And then there are things that I could do and could do quite well that the world needs, but that don't bring me joy. So within this definition of calling being where your joy meets the world's needs, which of your options hits those marks? Well, I mean, I, I get great joy from teaching. So again, that, and I mm -hmm. think it's check, needed. Check. Yeah. So the... Administration option would be heavily on the side of need. And I could do it for five years, but... Well, for the sake of this, it's a no. Okay. Right? If we're taking this quote seriously, then it's a no. All right. The world needs a lot of things. Doesn't mean it needs it from you. Right. Okay. What about research? I mean, on one level, most people don't think the world needs another book on medieval literature, but the research, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> the research that I'm moving in is looking at sexualized violence in medieval literature, and there is a lot of overlap with today's society, both in terms of stuff that still hasn't changed, which is appalling, but also some things are even better in the Middle Ages than they are now. So that kind of exploration, that would be the type of research that I'm thinking about doing. Okay. How is that on the joyometer? Uh, 
not as good as teaching, but I do get pleasure from research and, and writing. And when you go to conferences, you give a paper, but then it's the talk after that I really get joy from when the ideas are bouncing around and someone says, oh, that, I'm, that made me think about this or, or whatever. Okay. What about novel writing? Where does that go on the world's deepest need? <laughs> yeah. Let's just do world's need first. Well, does the world need another novel? I don't know. I get a lot of pleasure from reading even trash fantasy, trash romance. So do I want to give people that pleasure? I don't even know if I can. And I don't know if it would bring me joy. This is this is something that is totally... I haven't done it since I was 12. What are your thoughts about joy? Is it a value that you hold dear? Yes. I mean, I my idea of joy and my definition of joy is not the same as happiness and it's not the same as pleasure. Mm-hmm. My understanding of joy comes from actually my sacred text, which is Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Tolkien had a really complex understanding of joy as something that encapsulated sorrow. It, it, it involves the world's misery and it's deeper than pure happiness or simple pleasure. So I wouldn't get, I mean, I, I might get pleasure from reading all day in bed, but I don't think I'd get that deep kind of joy from that. I do get that deep t- kind of joy from that moment in teaching when you realize that a student gets it or when the discussion starts going way off whatever you plan to do. And, and I, get, I get ideas from that. And I get my best research ideas from class discussions that went together as a community way further than any one of us could have gone. That's a long answer. No, it's really helpful. I'm wondering, do you prioritize joy? Are you like joy is a great barometer of something meaningful to me? Joy is a value I hold? Or I can ask it in a different way. I happen to know you have kids because we have to stop recording around the time they come home. (laughs) Is joy one of the things that you wish most for for your children? Yeah, joy as I defined it, I think I want most of the world to experience that kind of deep, complex joy in life and in themselves. If you want it for others, I do think that as a teacher and a parent and a mentor, you could argue that you making radical choices in order to try to live a life of joy is something that the world needs. Yes, although part of me feels like that's a cop-out. I did set my email message, please help me try to have a good vacation and take time off and help me model that for my grad students. Yeah. And I failed miserably. <laughs> oh, I so like I actually really do believe in that kind of modeling, just like knowing that I use the people who I admire as barometers for my own behavior. Right. When my mentor, Stephanie Paulsell, was in Rome for the semester, she logged out of her email. And I'm just like, oh, you're allowed to do that. For four months, you're just allowed to do that. Wow. And it, it's really helpful to me. So I don't, I don't think it's a cop-out as someone who, like, looks up to a lot of people. 
So I've, I heard you express concern that writing a novel wouldn't be like meeting the world's needs. But I, I could argue that like it's going to meet your world's needs. Like you're going to model for your kids. Hey, go into your 50s and be like, do you want me to try this thing I've wanted to try since I was 12? Because it turns out that since I was 12, I've learned some stuff and I can do things differently. My question for you is, do you think writing a novel is going to bring you joy? You seemed very skeptical <laughs> of that possibility. I don't know. Partly because, I mean, have you heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? That yeah. So the less you know about something, the more you think you know. And the more you know about something, the less you think you know. And so... I'm worried that, like, I know up here that writing a novel is really hard, but I also think, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> and so, sure. I mean, so I'm mixed and I don't know whether it would bring me joy. Now, I, I think I probably want to try. Right. But that reframe that that people seeing me do something and try something new. I mean, that actually sounds like a really good thing to try is to keep you know, try something totally new when, as I'm going into my fifties. Yeah. I mean, it sounds joyful to like try to jump off of something onto a ghost ship. Like that sounds fun. Yeah. Right. And like yeah. complicated and like maybe you'll bruise your ribs cause you'll only hit the edge of the trip, you know, like sorrowful, but joyful yeah. and like yeah. weird. And like, even if it only lasts a year, the right. fact that you tried this like radical thing at 50 is very joyful. And I may end up on the ghost ship and end up in an eddy to keep the metaphor going and totally. not going anywhere. And then I can get back on my normal normal ship. I'm picturing the ghost ship as this lovely, holy pirate ship. Totally. And, you know, my normal life as kind of a, I don't know, a, a ferry somewhere across the harbor. Or oh my God. Like I love fairies too, though. <laughs> I know. And I'm perfectly happy doing the ferry, but it's more or everyday and ordinary. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but what a beautiful way to commute. Okay, so it sounds like text one, joy and need, we're like teaching and you're, we're going to make your research writing this novel. Okay. Okay. Should we complicate it by bringing in your second text? <laughs> sure. Why not? Let's do it. So my second text, I said that my sacred text is Lord of the Rings. And and so this is the part at the very beginning where Frodo is talking to Gandalf and they're figuring out what the ring is. And Gandalf is saying that, you know, we have to do something about this ring and, and you're the one who has to do it. And Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf responds, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And so I have no control over being born into a world that is facing a climate crisis, that is facing serious housing crises, and as a medievalist, I know how lucky I am to be born in the modern world. But there are real 
serious problems with it. And so I can't choose where I was born. I'm incredibly privileged in my life, but I can choose how to use the time that I'm given. Mm -hmm. And so again, I'm worried about, I mean, yes, I will be modeling taking risks in my 50s. And so that will address kind of my close circle and my, you know, students and and family. But I don't know whether that will do as much for the world in which I'm born into and the time that I have been given. So what else would you do for the world that you've been born into and the time that you've been given? Well, I donate to Habitat for Humanity. I could volunteer more with them. I could see if, you know, my next sabbatical, rather than traveling and doing research, I could go somewhere that I might make a real difference in the world. I'd still keep my job here. I might have an interesting sabbatical report to write when I get back. But, you know, I could do something with my life, with the privilege that I've been given. I don't want to give up some of the things that I love doing in my life. But that's what that's what I'm wondering about, whether I should be giving more back to the world. So this is, we have decided that you are going to be teaching 40%, writing your novel as part of your research 40%, and doing administration 20% right. of your job. And so is this a question of how to spend your, quote unquote, free time? Yeah, I guess so. So, so you know, maybe outside of my job, should I be doing something else? Yeah, I guess with the rest of my life. So what do you do now with that quote unquote free time that you would be doing different things with if you became this other person? Well, my job does spill over into, you know, I'm still checking emails in the evenings and so on. My kids, obviously, now they are teens, start just becoming teenagers. So they will hopefully by the end of my 50s, be taking up less and less time, although I still want to prioritize them. I read books a lot. I I, um, watch junk TV. All the typical evil stuff. All the typical things. Yeah, my life is pretty boring. I mean, so is the question, should I bring more intention into my 50s? Because like, it is possible that through your 40s, you were very busy building the career (laughs) and raising the children to be healthy teenagers. And now you're like, ooh, in a year when I turn 50, I'll have kind of done it. And so I'm not going to be as busy. My time isn't going to like automatically be filled. And so before I let that time just get filled up by more TV, which is like when you're busy, like Trash TV is great, right? Like, but the <laughs> yeah. the fear is that the one hour, two hours a night that you get to watch Trash TV right now, when you have four hours a night, is just going to become four hours a night. Is that right? Yes. And I mean, I don't think I'll ever have four hours a night. But yeah, so I, I want to prioritize the things that I want to do rather than getting sucked into either just lazy, whatever, drifting, but also like people ask you to do things and you say yes to them. And so if I can say no, even in my own mind, if I can say, no, I'm doing this instead, even to my job, if I can say I'm in at eight in the morning, my, when I come home at four, my job is done, unless I've got a pile of marking 
and not work weekends and so on. And so, yeah, I, I want something that I can say to myself, this is a priority. So what I'm hearing is that your 50s are going to be a time of joy and boundaries and intention. And you have a year. I love that you brought this question as you were about to turn 49. <laughs> like you have a year to figure yeah. out what it is that you want this other project to be if it's building houses. And it, it doesn't have, right? Like it can be like a commitment to housing equality right. and that, right? Like my fifties are where I am going to be taking every opportunity I can to be advocating for housing equality. And so I have like, let's say six priorities and it's like being a mom, being a friend, right? Being a teacher, a writer of a novel, a service member in my community. And then it is about housing equality. Another identity should be rest and being a human and taking care of yourself and your basic needs. But Right. Um, and exercise. I don't get enough of that. That should be part of your 50s. You didn't ask. But taking yeah. care of your body. But I do think you can have a list and then say to your colleagues, I'm sorry, that's not one of my priorities this decade. Like maybe catch me in my 60s. I had a job where my boss kept trying to change my job description to do whatever he wanted me to do that day. And it it really dislodged me. Like, I was like, I don't know how to do this job on the days that you haven't given me a task. I don't know how to create my own work because I never know what you want me to do. And so I went to him and I was like, okay, here's my job description. Can we go through and categorize? And then I was like, okay, so what I understand are that these are the three things my job is. My job is running the Sunday school, running community morale, and being chief of staff, managing the staff. If you ask me to do something and it doesn't fall under one of these three categories, I am going to start saying no. And he was like, that sounds great. And I put on a post-it those three things. And every time he asked me to do something, I looked at the post-it and I was like, can I justify that it goes under one of these three things? And then if it didn't, I was like, sorry, we agreed. And so I wonder if that can be what you spend your next year doing is coming up with your post-it and someone asks you to do something and you check the post-it and you're like, oh, awkward. But no, that's not on my list of nine things. Yeah, maybe. And maybe I could think of it the same way I do my job, that 40% teaching, 40% service. Maybe I could think about what I want to do with yeah. that, you know, 10 or 20% of time that I have on in the evenings and weekends. Yeah. Please keep rest and taking care of your body and reading silly novels in there. I For will. me, you can put it on your list as I promised Vanessa time. I did start a sci-fi book club this Good. year. So. Good. I'm very excited. I hope that this post-it is neon pink. Okay. And I don't know. I just think it's hard to live a radical life. And so give yourself some grace and and I don't know that you should be spending too much time feeling guilty. Yeah. Enjoy it a little bit. Like sink into it. Yes, joy is part of part of that. My father had a saying, you're shooting all over yourself. Exactly. I'm so excited for you and I think that this is such a lovely problem that you are having because you've worked so hard for the last 20, 30 years and so 
I don't know, you're someone for whom the system has mostly worked, it sounds like. Yes. And that is not something to be ashamed of. Like, No, but it is It is a privilege that I feel. And so totally. I want to try to help out people for whom the system isn't working. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Make, make that system more equitable for other people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on and for uh, chatting with me. Before we wrap up today's episode, I want to let you know that accidentally, I just did an infomercial for our new program, Literary Chaplaincy. We have launched a literary chaplaincy program in which you can spend time with a chaplain who is going to listen and ask thoughtful questions and help you use your favorite texts in order to discern something in your life. And what Kathy and I just did is essentially what our chaplains, Rebecca and Taylor, have been trained to do. So if you have a question and you're like, I would really like that kind of attention from someone and I have favorite books, you should go to our website, notsorryworks.com and click on Literary Chaplaincy and learn more. We have the privilege to work with two of, I legitimately think, the greatest chaplains I've ever met. They are just compassionate and brilliant and such fantastic listeners with such strong values that they bring to their work. And you can find out more about them, Taylor and Rebecca, and the work that we're doing at notsorryworks.com. You've been listening to Should I Quit? our latest season of The Real Question. Our show is funded through Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you're a regular listener, we would really appreciate your support. Another way that you can support this show is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening right now. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and Twitter at therealqpod. Our BFF tier patrons are Molly Reilly, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Amanda Schramm, Shannon Sheehan, Renee Underhill. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. A huge thanks to Kathy for joining us today, and thanks as always to our amazing team. Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Yaramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Willison, Courtney Brown, Natalie Folkerts, Casper Turkile, and Stephanie Paulsell. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 